This is Ryan Brown. You're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Courier. Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer fires to score. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. Gets topside. Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Adam Moore and Hutton Jackson. What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? We are back for a week two recap. We also have an interview with Ryan Brown coming up a little bit later. But right now, I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Moore, as well as LPG's contributor and data guru, Brian Andrews. Brian, how's it going today? Doing great. Great weekend of lacrosse. Huge victory for the Atlas. So I'm I'm on a high on Monday for once. I love it. I know your your Atlas as the underdogs upset the previously undefeated Redwoods. Um, what are your takeaways from this week too, though, Adam? Any opening thoughts? Yeah, no, it was an exciting weekend to, to uh, see. We'll talk a little bit about uh, some teams. You know, underdogs, those water dogs uh, had a big weekend. Excited to talk a little bit about their offense and, and their kind of shutdown defense down down at the end of the weekend there. Yeah, no, let's, I guess, just dive right into it. You know, they opened up the weekend uh, with a game against the Chaos, and I, I don't think I am firmly on the Water Dogs bandwagon again, um, you know, just yet. I think I need to see a little bit more. I think they played, you know, two of the weaker teams in the league um, this weekend, but it was a good weekend for them, of course. But, yeah, let's start off with this Water Dogs chaos game. To me, it was a pretty sloppy start from both teams to begin with. But uh, what were your thoughts, Brian, on this Friday night matchup? I very much agree with you that I'm not quite on the Water Dogs train yet. They have improved vastly from week one. The offense looked alive. More people looked like they wanted to be the initiator of the offense, which they needed, especially without Sowers this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that once they got running, they got a little bit ahead of the chaos, and then they almost let chaos back into the game, but they firmly solidified it. I think we're going to see more next week. They're going to get tested again like they did in week one, and we'll see if they can keep this momentum rolling. Yeah, no, definitely a tough matchup with the Archers uh, at Homewood. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, they looked a lot better. You know, Ryan Brown told us that, you know, their spacing was a lot better. I think they were trying to, you know, move around too much just for the sake of moving that first week. And he said they really focused on spacing. And I think, you know, that was evident. Um, again, still pretty sloppy, I think, from both teams, though, to start. I mean, they, you know, and chaos weren't really making the dogs work too hard for their shot. So, you know, I think the Water Dogs offense was more, you know, doing well because chaos were kind of like letting them you know, take some easy shots, not slide into them right away. Um, And then chaos just looked complacent on offense. I mean, they have some great talent on that offense, but they had some terrible turnovers, like at the starter possessions too. It wasn't even like once they got into their possessions. I mean, there's literally a play where they pass it up to Troy Ray to take a two point attempt. um, And they didn't back that up. Like, it's just like tons of mental mistakes that you just can't let happen that are just going to kill you throughout the game. Uh, But did you see anything from this game, Adam, that, um, you know, maybe on the water dog side that you thought was a positive or, you know, more negative on the chaos side. Yeah, man, from, from a positive side, you know, um, more on the positive vibes kind of guy, you know, I always love talking about Zach Courier, right? He had a, the, the penultimate Zach Courier game, right? He had a goal, a couple cost turnovers, a bunch of ground balls. I mean, Brian, when I think of Zach Courier as a Sixers fan, he, he's like Ben Simmons, right? He can go off on offense, but he's a shutdown defender. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, he's one of my favorite players in lacrosse. Um, and I, I really enjoy watching him out there. I'm really excited that, that he's back. You know, the, the bubble was a tough situation, getting hurt literally in, in the open and whistle. So uh, from a positive side, he's having a really good start to his season. I'm excited to see him out there. Um, he also had a really highlight-worthy goal, too. Yeah. That was, you know, looked exactly like the Josh Byrne goal we saw in week one. Um, again, no angle. Somehow, you know, got it past Blaze. Um, funny that it was on the, the chaos were on the receiving end of that this week, but yeah, I, I thought the dogs looked all right. I, I think they did better in their second game, which we'll get to a little bit later, but, um, you know, I was happy to see Ben Randall make his dogs debut. I don't think he really, his presence was, you know, too felt in this game. Um, I think he did a little bit better in the second game, you know, but that's a good thing too, not necessarily noticing him as much. Um, you know, and I just don't think this defense was tested too much in this game. And again, same with the Chrome, the Chrome, I don't think, you know, threw too much at them. So I'm still going to be interested to see. But, you know, if I had to pick a starting three, I would probably go with Randall, Gobrecht, and Burns right now. 
and maybe, you know, rotating BJ grill in there. Um, it, it's a toss up for me between grill and Sabia, but I think, you know, their top three poles are Burns, Gobrecht and Randall, in my opinion. Um, so I was, I was happy to see, you know, Ben Randall out there. Um, but you know, for the most part, yeah, I, I think, you know, this, this game had a lot of two pointers. Um, it was, you know, again, kind of like just these two teams, you know, given each other easy shots, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, the Warlocks just tended to hit more on them. KS tried to make a comeback late, um, you know, and they, they almost made it interesting. Um, and, you know, we're not going to get too much into the betting side of things on this podcast. We'll leave that to Dan and Doug on the Bet on Lacrosse podcast. But uh, DraftKings has been setting their goal totals as goals. So they don't include two pointers. That's just included as one goal. We noticed that actually last week, and we're going to have that, you know, more in depth on the bet on lacrosse podcast, but uh, you know, this over in this game was 20 and a half and it looked like it hit pretty early on, like, you know, with, you know, early in the fourth quarter, like a seven and a half minutes left, but actually it was just a half point over by the end of the game. And that was thanks to a chaos goal with 4.5 seconds left, because again, DraftKings totals their goals based on goals they don't count two pointers as two goals so that i think is something to you know just be aware of if you're betting on these games um again we're gonna have a better breakdown on the bet on lacrosse podcast but i was tweeting out that like you know the over hadn't hit yet the broadcasters thought it had um but really you know it came down to that final four and a half seconds for the over to finally hit so if you bet on the over on that game you're still pleased you just probably might have not even known that you're gonna be you should have been sweating it a little bit closer (laughs) towards the end of that game but um yeah overall i think a good showing by the water dogs uh you know mikey slosser is just a fun brand of lacrosse to watch we'll talk a little bit more about him because he had a monster day in that second game as well but um overall i think it was a good showing for the dogs and the chaos have some issues they need to work out with but we'll get to them a little bit more in their second game of the weekend uh moving on to the whip snakes cannons probably the best game of the weekend and you know it, it did not disappoint we kind of going into it thought it was going to be a primetime matchup um it was actually a, on at noon but on nbc so it was you know more the the prime game, maybe not at the prime time, but it was, you know, definitely a, a great game to watch on TV nationally. And, um, you know, I think one thing I want to bring up before we kind of get into the game side of things, I like that Lyle Thompson had an orange ribbon on his braid to remember the remains of 215 indigenous children that were found most re- you know, recently in one of the residential schools in Canada. Um, and for people not familiar with residential schools, you know, they had them in both Canada and the U.S. They were essentially boarding schools where they tried to strip native culture from these kids that they took to these boarding schools. Um, Definitely an interesting subject, um, a very sad subject, but we wanted to kind of bring some light to that a little bit because it shows that it's a little bit more than the game um, at some points. So yeah, I think that was something that I I wanted to just make sure we, we gave some publicity to on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is uh, indigenous history month in Canada right now. So the turtle Island guys uh, are dropping a lot of information. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a time period where growth and development is super important for the game and, and the people that care so much about this game should know and knowing uh, the history and, and uh, the oppressive nature of North America and a number of different capacities. So Turtle Island uh, have their hat on right now. They're, they're a great resource uh, to, to gain knowledge in a variety of different subjects. So definitely look into that, be uh, a more well-rounded person, be more informed uh, about situations. Definitely go ahead and do that. Yeah, especially since lacrosse has, you know, it is an indigenous game that was given to us by the indigenous, you know, the natives. So, you know, Randy Stotts, Brendan Bomberry, Colin Lyons are who run that Turtle Island platform and they're doing great stuff for the game and really informing, you know, lacrosse players and people in the lacrosse community about, um, you know, the traditions of the game. And I think that's important. And, you know, some of the native issues that they're bringing up are, you know, bringing, being brought to my attention that I wasn't aware of. So I appreciate the work they're doing, but wanted to kind of get that in there. Cause I thought that was a nice touch that, you know, Lyle Thompson, who's proven to be a leader both on and off the field, but the game itself was better than we could probably ask for. Um, what, what did you think of this game, Brian, back and forth, you know, the whips kind of looked like they were going to pull away a few times, but they never, they never really put the the flame out for this cans team and the cans came back and made it interesting at the end. But what are your thoughts from this game? I definitely thought that the cannons had the best shot of anybody in the past two years to really take it to the whips. And it was really their game to lose multiple times, even though, like you said, the whips constantly pushed ahead, but the cannons kept catching back up. And I think a lot of that came from poor decisions on the defensive and offensive side of the ball for the cannons. Uh, defensively, they were, especially in the first half, they were sliding a little poorly and there was a ton of penalties throughout the game that mm-hmm. the Whipsnakes really capitalized on. Uh, Andrew Q not shooting from two on an empty net and also not scoring on that shot was just a heartbreaker for them. That could have turned the tide of the game if he shot the two there. 
might not have even gone to overtime. Uh, left a lot of garbage goals for Jay Carlson. Their fast break defense was not adjusting to the Nardella to Williams connection. There's just a lot of things that they let the whips do repeatedly that led to their downfall. And if they had adjusted sooner, the whip snakes might not have been able to keep their advantage. No, I agree. Yeah. They, they took, I believe five penalties in this game. You know, you just can't give the whip snakes extra man opportunities on the power play. You know, it's, they're just going to burn you. Um, and I think they did a decent job actually of preventing the whip snakes from scoring on those power plays. But again, you, you know, you're playing catch up at that point. It's more time that your offense doesn't have the ball in their sticks. And, you know, you need Lyle Thompson to have the ball as much as possible. Cause he'll make some magic out of it. But um, yeah, I, I agree. I thought they went toe to toe. They just never really quit. Cans were, you know, down eight, three in the first half at one point, 10, six in the third. And they just kept hanging around, um, you know, kudos to, you know, Ryan Drenner who had a hat trick played well. Um, I think that was my biggest takeaway from this cannons team over the past three games is that, they know their roles on the offense. They play unselfish. They ride hard. Um, and, you know, they just really embrace their offensive identity. You know, look at a guy like Paul Rabel, who's embraced being more of an off-ball guy. He's definitely can score, you know, on the run a little bit too, as we've seen in the past couple of games. But um, they're just, you know, very opportunistic. Uh, it helps when you have Lyle Thompson that's going to, you know, obviously draw the most attention on offense. And he had four goals in this game still. So I, I thought they did a really good job with that. But I agree with you. The defense – kind of made some, you know, head scratching plays. They, they didn't really learn their lessons as the game went along, you know, whether it be undisciplined penalties um, or, or, you know, even letting Joe Nardella feed Zed Williams three times on the fast break for goals that had six in this game, you know, like that, that's something it's like, you know, fool me once shame on, you know, shame on you fool me twice, shame on me fool me three times. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Like you, you have to, you know, eliminate that as a threat. And obviously Nardella can show that he can go down and score himself too. But um, you know, can't really let him put the ball in the stick of the, you know, 2020 MVP that many times uh, he's just going to make you pay. So um, they, I thought that was interesting, but I don't, I don't know. Did you guys have any other takeaways from this game? Yeah. Uh, and they even to, to the fast break point, just to hammer it home, they even let it happen in, o, in OT, but Morocco bailed them out, mm-hmm. yeah. which, you know, if the game ended on that, no, that would have been, you know, four out of seven goals for Williams just on a step down shot from less than 10, mm-hmm. which is terrible defense. And um but on the cannon side, on the offensive side, I didn't really comment too much. I do think it's great that Rabel is starting to draw the pole again and watching him be him again and dodging against the best LSM in the league, Earhart, was a lot of fun. And he was still generating offense. And I think Stephen Rafus is also presenting a case where teams are going to have to make the decision on who of those two they're going to put the LSM on. I think they're both making good arguments for it. But I don't so, – I think the cannons are poised to have a good rest of the season with the offensive weapons, but if they make some defensive adjustments after the whips game, they're going to be very dangerous going forward. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Nick Morocco. He had a really good game. He did bail them out a couple of times and, you know, uh, obviously he, he's a championship caliber goalie. won it last year with them in, in the MLL. Uh, he's making his case that he is one of the top goalies in the world after, after the last two performances. You know, and I, I think the, the important thing too, with the cannons is there's a few teams that we're going to talk about that I think have some personnel issues. Cannons don't have personnel issues. They have all the right pieces, um, you know, maybe a, a little bit to be lacking at the face-off position, but I thought Simino played really, really well against Nardella, um, kind of went toe-to-toe with him. Um, but at the end of the day, like, they have the right pieces, and they just got to play a little bit better in some areas and kind of, you know, make those plays that they need to make throughout the game to give them, you know, the best position to win that game against the Whipsnakes. So, at the end of the day, I think it was a great showing. I mean, I, I wouldn't say there's moral victories in lacrosse, but for them to, you know, have a good showing against the Whips, despite being, you know, now one and two, I think they're, you know, poised again to, to have a good season as well. Um, if they continue to play like they did against the whip snakes and like they did against the water dogs um, and even the redwoods, you know, they, they hung around with the redwoods too, that have obviously been shown that they're a pretty good team as well. So um, yeah, I, I like what I'm seeing from the cannons. Um, and I mentioned the redwoods. So let's go on to that game. Um, you know, started off two and oh, it looked like they you know, could easily go three and zero against what looked like a really weak Atlas team at the start of the season, Jack and cannon, kind of stood on his head in this game, bounced back, you know, after that first game, that was pretty rough. So let's hear a little bit from him after the post game at the post game and what he had to say about the Atlas's big upset win. 
we have a bye week next week, so you know we focus on, we put emphasis on, you know, building that momentum. Um, you know, it's all about us. And again, I think we, we really put, to, you know, put in the work during the week, and you know, it, it was really obvious out there. You know, rolling into the bye week with, with the win is huge. Um, you know, and just looking forward to, you know, keeping this rolling and you know, keep putting in the work. So you heard from Jack and Cannon right there. So obviously he was, you know, seeing the ball a lot better this game. Um, but, you know, they also got it done on the offensive side as well. So I'll start with you, our resident Atlas fan, Brian. What did you see from your boys in blue um, in this game that kind of led you to think they might have a better season than we maybe thought initially? I think the offense looked much more awake. They were moving off ball, similar to how the water dogs improved from week one. There were more people trying to initiate offense from the Atlas, particularly Law, who was very successful at doing mm-hmm. so. And they distributed the ball really well. Of course, Carraway had a monster game. But they had a lot of people contributing, and because of that, the Redwoods defense, I think, was struggling to keep up with all of the personnel who were contributing. Mm-hmm. Um, the There were still some turnover issues, which I think they're going to have to really tighten uh, their stick skills in, in the coming games if they want to con- have continued success. Uh, but their defense really stepped up from this game, and I think notably, obviously, Cannon had a, had a great game, super fun to watch. Uh, notably Craig Chick dressed this week for this game and he had a great game. And at first it kind of looked like it was going to be a little bit of a rocky start, but he bounced back really well. He had a bunch of cluster turnovers and ground balls in, in between the lines that allowed, you know, the Atlas to have a little bit more possession time. Uh, but I still think their defense struggled a little bit off ball and I don't think they got punished for it as much because the Redwoods offense is just a little bit slower moving the ball or they're, they're more dodge centric type of offense Mm. dodge and then draw and then feed. Whereas the archers is slinging it around. And I think Mm -hmm. that next week when the Atlas go up against the whips and the cannons in one weekend, we're going to see whether or not the Atlas defense has really improved or if they just benefited from the Redwoods different offensive style. Yeah. No, I, like you mentioned, Craig chick, I, I was surprised he wasn't on the, the game day roster week one. Um, so it was good to see him back out there uh, do, doing what he does. And, and it was uh, a good bounce back win. And, you know, I love parody uh, in the league. We want these to be good games. This was a good game. And a lot of people were surprised of that. So hopefully this is something that continues. Yeah, no. And what did you see, Adam, you know, really from Jack and Cannon uh, from a goalie perspective, you know, it looked like he was seeing the ball a lot better, but um, do you think, you know, week one was just a fluke and we got the, you know, Jack and Cannon, we know and love back. Um, or do you think he benefited also from this Redwoods offense that didn't really click um, in this week two matchup? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely it was a combo. It definitely was, was a beach ball this week that he was seeing more than a golf ball, like in week one. I will say the Redwoods it, take a lot of closer shots, right? Um, from from They were taking a lot more one-on-ones comparative to week one, and, and he was saving those. He's the best goalie in the league on percentage, right? Joe Keefe says he's the best uh, in, in that small space. And, and he did save a lot of, uh, close-up shots. So, uh, definitely fit what he is good at. They were, they were shooting some, some closer shots and, uh, hopefully this, this continues. You know, we talk about teams, uh, with the goalie play, the Atlas will go as far as Jack and Cannon, right? He, he, he saves them and bails them out. Same with, with plays with the chaos. He, he's a big, uh, big part of when they are successful. So hopefully it, it, uh, continues and, and, uh, Atlas continue to be, uh, competitive going forward you know for sure and like you said I, I would have liked to see the Redwoods you know maybe target him a little bit more from outside they obviously have the threats from range that you know Perkovic Miles Jones we even know Jules can you know sling it from outside so surprised they didn't really lean heavily on that and kind of adjust mid-game but uh you know I think the Redwoods are still a good team they're just probably not you know as good as maybe they showed the first two weeks you know I, I think they're gonna really have to make sure that they're on their A game every weekend. I mean, every team has to be, but um, you know, there's no easy wins in this game. And I don't know if they overlooked the Atlas at all. I'm not saying that they did, but you know, definitely going into a matchup that looked very favorable for them. They, they kind of laid an egg. So we'll definitely see how they bounce back um, when they t- go to Homewood as well. Um, and let's move on to another team now with the water dogs and Chrome. Uh, we talked a little bit about the water dogs. We're going to talk a little bit more about them in this game too. Cause I think they looked even better than they did on the Friday mat- matchup, but the Chrome are a team that are really dealing with a lot of injuries. So here's John Randigan talking a little bit about their next man up mentality that they've kind of taken with all the injuries that they've seen. Obviously you lose quality players on the field, but you, you lose quality people, you know, guys we care about. Um, 
and we brought in some new guys. I think Jackson Morrill's coming into his own. Justin Anderson is a real scrappy offensive midfielder, and Kevin Rogers comes in today and has a big goal. So you know, we want to instill as much confidence in these young guys as we can, and they're buying in, which is great. Um, but we just got to keep – I think what we do during the week, we have a bye week. What we do in the next two weeks, um, you know, we have a long break as we play on Sunday, right? So as long as we can keep working during the week, keep talking, um, I think we're going to be all right. So you heard John Rannigan talking about, you know, how, you know, they're, they're not too worried. I mean, about the, the different injuries, like they're going to, you know, roll out different personnel and they're still going to play their style, which, you know, is very unique. And I think, you know, coach Sudan does as good a job as anybody in getting a team to buy into their system. But are you guys worried just given the amount of injuries that keep piling up, you know, between Stotts, Jordan Wolf, JT Giles Harris hasn't been able to join the team yet. Um, And we don't know, you know, when he's going to be joining, um, and it looked like Jesse Bernhardt was banged up as well. He didn't return in that game. So what are you guys' thoughts on the Chrome and their outlook in this season with uh, all the injuries piling up? Yeah, I mean, when you lose two of your best players right off the bat, Randy never suited up for him. But when, when you lose a guy like Jordan Wolf, who is a facilitator of that offense, when you don't get your first-round pick and JT Dallas Harris uh, able to play, and then a guy like Jesse Bernhardt goes down, I mean, it's expected that they're not going to play as well. Right. And it, mm. it's tough for, for them to kind of make up that difference, but they had guys that did it, you know, Jackson Morrill, D three guy, Kevin Rogers slash D one, I guess, right. High point two. <laughs> scored his first goal this week after getting picked up off the waiver wire, which was awesome to see. Uh, they're, they're trying to make, make up that difference, but it, it's a pretty big gap when you lose guys like that. I agree 100%. But even with all of those things considered yep. uh, the Chrome are, suffering in the same way that the chaos are and that they're causing or they're committing so many turnovers they're almost turning the ball over as much as they're shooting them and them and the chaos and it's really plaguing their offensive productivity what this game showed more than the friday night game for the water dogs is their offense still has some way to go and they're definitely going to be tested in the coming weeks especially against the archers defense even ryan boyle said going in a half and I'm quoting him here, man, this is one of those games where the water dogs are clearly beating the Chrome. And yet here they sit with only a two goal lead. Even, even though the water dogs were completely outplaying the Chrome, the Chrome were turning the ball over constantly. Uh, the water dogs had like twice as many shots as the Chrome did throughout the whole game. They were still struggling to get the uh, offense, the offense going in a timely manner. Uh, Hutton, you said earlier that couriers takes a lot of possession shots they were, do, they were substituting a lot, and even when they were getting good shots, it was always like late in the shot clock. So they need to figure out how to generate more shots more frequently against teams like Chrome who are struggling defensively and struggling through injuries. Mm-hmm. No, and that's why I, I agree. And that's why I think you know, their defense looked a lot better in this game than you know, maybe in that first game. Um, and they kind of gave me, you know, a lot of hope that, that they're going to be a good defense. You know, they just kind of needed to find the right personnel and, and kind of mesh um, chemistry wise. Cause I thought their defense looked a lot better. It didn't look bad against the chaos, but again, like the, there's some goals that they let the chaos score that it's like, you, you can't let that happen. Um, this game, I think they made the Chrome work for their shots. Um, again, I, I thought Ben Randall did better in this game. You know, he caused a few turnovers. Um, Gobrecht again, was his normal self as well, you know, and there's a b- bunch of opportunities too, where they were just, really making the Chrome take bad shots. Um, and I think the Chrome were getting desperate too, as the game kind of went along, but I think that's what you want to see from your defense. And then the offense, it, they looked good in flashes, but I agree. Like they're, they're still not, they still haven't shown me that they can maybe go toe to toe with some of the better defenses, like the whip Sinks or archers. Um, I think they can, I think they're starting to find the right personnel. Um, and, you know, I think Ben Reeves really stepped it up in the absence of Michael Sowers. Ben Reeves is no slouch. You know, and he kind of reminded everyone that he, you know, is a former Torton winner here. And uh, and then obviously Ryan Brown, who we're going to talk with a little bit later, had a monster weekend as well. But again, like, yeah, I think they were very opportunistic in transition. And that's, I think, you know, more telling of them, you know, learning how to win games and less of them being efficient with their offensive possessions. So still got to see a little bit more from them. That's why I'm not supplanted on the bandwagon again just yet. Uh, I was a big fan of them at the start of the season, but we'll see as time goes along. Um, and what are your thoughts too on Adam on Dylan Ward's playing cage? Didn't really do much in the first game of the weekend, but really came up big with them in this Chrome game. Any thoughts on the goalie play? Yeah. I think people that haven't seen Dylan Ward playing the MLL in his uh, national days are, are we're, we're blowing up Twitter about how far he comes out of cage, his unique playing style. And it was awesome to see uh, some first time 
uh, Ward watchers uh, just be very surprised about his unique playing style. And, and I love to see it. You know, and I think he did a really good job in close. Um, and he was seeing the ball well from outside too. And I think that again is like a big test of whether a goalie is going to, you know, have success in this league is if you can stop the outside shots, you look on the other side, Galloway was struggling a little bit. Um, Rylan Reese had that opening two pointer that um, you got past him. So, you know, I, I need to see a little bit more from Galloway before I'm ready to continue to keep him as the starter. Um, I think he will be the starter this coming week. I don't think they go to Scanoni yet, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point we do see Sean Scanoni hop in cage because um, I didn't think Galloway looked too great in that game. And again, the defense was banged up too. So you can't put it all on him, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's some issues still to be there, but Dylan Ward looked great with in close yeah, stuff and a lot of the Chrome chances. Yeah. And you know, you always need at least one sweatpants goalie <laughs> and I don't count John Galloway. Those are joggers. Those are not sweats. They're not saving anything. Uh, it's good for at least one save a game, those sweats. So love to see it. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, know that big cat loves it as well. Talking, he was throwing some stuff out at the, the water dogs. I wonder how, I wonder how much they enjoy big cats commentary or if they're just like, all right, it's <laughs> like we're trying to win games here. Let's, let's cool it down. Cause I know big cat, a uh, very impatient man. It seems like <laughs> our final game of the weekend was the chaos versus archers. Um, and it looked like the chaos actually were maybe going to have a bounce back game. That was not the case. Um, as we would see as the game progressed. But what were your thoughts on this game um, with the chaos dropping their third straight loss and the archers going 2-0 on the weekend? Well, uh, the main thing, you know, it, it's they're going to have to bounce back quick because unlike last year where they weren't that successful in the win column and in the bubble, everyone made the playoffs and they could make their run. The, the last place team isn't going to make it this year. So they're at the bottom there with the chrome uh, right now. And uh, they're going to have to kind of look inward and, and, and figure things out because Starting 0-3, it's a big hole to come out of. 100% agree. And I think they have too many holes to fill right now. I don't think that they're – I don't think they're, they're generating enough offense. Similar, like I said, with the Chrome, they're turning the ball over almost as much as they're shooting. Uh, they only had one goal in the second half, and not very – like more than half of their shots came in the first half. So they're, they came out and they put their foot on the gas pedal, and then they took it off in the second half. And part of that was the archers were starting to wake up and uh, play, start to play the game at their pace, which is obviously a very commanding pace. Once they took over control of the game, it was kind of clear that they were going to, you know, run away with it. Uh, and then blaze kind of tried to hold them in place, but the chaos offense wasn't helping them out at all. Uh, incredibly impressive game again by blaze. And you have to start to ask the question in addition to who's going to, step up a little bit more on offense is what are they going to do with the defense so that blaze doesn't have to stand on his head and make 20 plus saves a game. And we've been saying this for weeks. We were even saying this last year. So mm -hmm. what, what, at what point are some decisions going to have to be made to shake things up so they can start their run sooner rather than later? Yeah. No, I agree. And I'm going to get a little bit into that, um, you know, later with my storylines to follow, you know, in this bye week but yeah, I didn't think they really made that adjustment on the defensive end um, this off season. That still, you know, was kind of a whole, for me, they don't have that communicated again. They're, they're missing the presence of Brody Merrill still in year three. Um, and he, I think he just meant the world to them in that year one. Um, and they haven't been really able to replace that, unfortunately. Um, but I think one thing that coach towers is really disappointed in um, and we'll toss a little bit of his sound, but is, is the possession battle. They're just not winning the possession battle. He feels like, you know, regardless of how the defense is playing, they're playing too much defense and they need to get the ball in their offensive guys sticks more. So let's hear some sound from him after that game. It's no secret that it seems like we're playing defense uh, two to three times more than we're playing offense. I frankly thought our offense played really well today, but we just it seemed like we only had the ball for one quarter. I thought that we did a good job of staying within scheme, generating high quality opportunities and playing the way that we wanted to play. Uh, you know, but this is a possession game and I, I feel like we're just not getting enough ground balls. And, you know, it's tough to win games when you're playing that much defense. So as you can tell, he's not happy at all with, you know, the lack of possessions, um, kind of inadvertently calling out, I think his faceoff guys and maybe his wing play as well. He didn't directly say it, um, but obviously Max Adler did not play um, too well in that week one matchup. Um, you know, this week two Friday night matchup, he did better 46%, but only four ground balls. So I think he's, he's winning a lot of these faceoffs. and maybe it's not just getting help from the wing play, but he's also not doing a good job of, you know, winning the ball himself. Um, you know, I, again, 
Jake Weathers got away with some holds, I think, in that uh, Friday night game, to be honest, that I was like scratching my head. They weren't called. So not all on him. But again, they drafted him to be a guy that could go toe to toe with, you know, Joe Nardella's of the world and, and the best face off guys. And I think he can still be that guy. But going to see need to see a little bit more from him. They gave Kyle Gallagher a go uh, this Sunday. Seven for 21 is not what you really want to see. Um, and I think that's where, you know, you had Coach Towers really trying to call out his wing play. Um, you know, the lack of possessions in that game in particular, um, which is the sound where the sound was taken from. But um, I guess what are you guys' thoughts on the fact that they just can't seem to, you know, make the most of their possessions and get a lot of possessions. But do you think there's some offenses to be blamed on this as well? The fact that they're not generating enough um, or, you know, would you again, put this more on the defense uh, and the fact that they're just making blaze, make some tremendous saves to even keep them in the game. Well, like Brian said, I mean, when you turn the ball over so much that there, there's only so much a defense can do if they're, if they're playing on top of their game. Right. So it's, it, it's tough when, when you're turning the ball over at that, at that rate, we'll see, you know, what changes that are possibly made when, um, you know, if guys like Chandler Rogers and Curtis Dixon are available, um, do those guys make the lineup right away? I, I would expect that to be the case. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens, but uh, I certainly think uh, turnovers, I mean, it's it, not everything is, has to be like really in depth, right? If it's just a matter of the amount of turnovers they're making that, that just can't continue if you want to be successful. And to the point about uh, the faceoff guys and whether or not they're performing uh, well enough for the chaos to win games, we've recently put out an article which discusses that faceoffs are important, but you don't, they're not overwhelmingly important such that just because you're performing under 50% means you're losing your games. Mm-hmm. So while it's important that they probably improve there so they can have more possessions, they're turning the ball over anyway. An improvement at the stripe is not going to fix all their issues alone. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I might've been, you know, maybe reading into coach Towers' comments a little bit, you know, you could also take it that he just wants to see more effort on the ground ball battles from them too. You know, and that's half of it too. That's not just related to the face-off that's between the lines as well. And they are a very, you know, heavy transition team in terms of they like to score goals in transition. We saw E. McKay, who they traded for this off season, have two long pole goals, um, two pointers. So, you know, he, he definitely made some noise against his former team despite the loss, but um, yeah, I, I think that's where, you know, I still go back more to the defensive end, even though they are playing a lot of defense, um, you know, the defense, the level of defense just isn't there. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later, but um, I, I don't know if like, you know, you got to give Kyle Thornton a go or something, but I think there needs to be a little bit more from the defenders they currently have. Um, you know, and I wouldn't put it solely on the fact that they're not getting possessions. You know, I, I think, I don't know. I, I didn't really think their issues lied between the numbers, you know, in the ground ball battle. I think it was more on, you know, when they're in settled six on six on, you know, defense or settled six on six on offense is they're not getting it done. So, um, you know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with coach Towers and the fact that it was special teams, that was an issue, you know, obviously they got to be better at all facets of the ball, but um, you know, I, I, I think there's some more issues there and it's hard to pick and choose which ones are the actual ones that they need to really focus on. But that wraps up our game recaps of the weekend. Uh, we're now going to toss to an interview with Ryan Brown. We appreciate him hopping on. Obviously, he had a huge weekend. Um, so stay tuned, hear a word from our sponsor, and then listen to our interview with Ryan Brown. Today's episode is sponsored by Ducan Supply Co. Ducan is a men's body care brand that features an array of military-inspired products from their signature big-ass bar of soap to their bourbon-infused beard oil. I personally use their big bourbon beard oil that is made with a hint of buffalo trace. I like the oak barrel scent that it gives off, and it makes me feel good about my beard, even if it's not as nice as the one that Adam's sporting these days. As an Army Reservist, I also love that they donate a portion of their proceeds to U.S. veterans. So go ahead and check out Ducanon, use our code LAX10 to receive 10% off your order, and find your own signature scent. Welcome back to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Today on Pro Lacrosse Talk, we are joined by member of Team USA, Hopkins alum, and Water Dog Sharpshooter Ryan Brown, who's coming off an eight-goal weekend in the Dogs' two wins in Atlanta. Ryan, thanks for joining us today. You know, how's it, the body feeling after this doubleheader in Atlanta? Yeah, you know, I think playing well. Essentially, it was three games in seven days plus trips. I live in Dallas. Trips from Boston to Dallas, Dallas to Atlanta was, uh, you know, quite the experience. I would say, you know, not used to, you know having that much, playing that much lacrosse since college. Um, today, you could definitely feel a little bit when I woke up 
body was just uh, a little sore, you know, moving a little slow this morning. Yeah, no, I, I can only imagine. But, you know, you did have a big weekend. We're going to get into that a little bit. But I kind of want to go back to the offseason with this trade to the Water Dogs. You were traded for the 11th overall pick in the college draft. Um, you were a member of the Atlas for the first two years in the PLL. Um, were you kind of shocked when you heard the news that you were getting traded? What were your kind of thoughts on the trade? And walk us through a little bit when you got the call. So I don't know if I was shocked. I figured Coach Rubio was probably going to make some moves in the offseason. Um just considering like what, I mean, we had great talent on the Atlas, um, but things just weren't really meshing. So I, I know credit to him of, you know, kind of seeing that and be like, Hey, this is going to be a, you know, a little bit of a tougher thing here with shelling out some of these guys, but, you know, going ahead and moving some guys around. So um, I personally, I was happy. I think just a new situation for me was a good thing. Just kind of, you know, moving on and, and, and something new. So um I actually was pretty happy about the about the move. It, it seems like it's working out pretty well for all parties involved. You know, Rob looks he's having a great year. Paul looks back to, you know, 2012 Paul when he's doing his thing. You know, the Atlas looked pretty good this weekend. Um, so I think you know, it kind of worked out for everyone who uh, you know, kind of parted ways there. So um, you know, can't really be uh, too upset with, about that. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's certainly working out, like you said. And you mentioned the Atlas making moves all season. So are, is, did your new squad and Coach Copeland with the Water Dogs, right? So let's yeah. talk about kind of how you guys reinvented this offense during training camp. Talk talk through how you kind of built chemistry with your new teammates. Yeah, so uh, obviously Coach Copeland had an idea, you know, with bringing me in, drafting uh, Sowers, who unfortunately, you know, got knocked out in week one. And, you know, it's kind of tough because – Obviously, him playing in the final forward, which was during training camp, getting there one day of practice, trying to play in his first game as a rookie. Like, it's just a lot to take on, honestly. Um, and then, you know, it's it's the first game. It's it, There was just a lot of moving parts there. Um, so I think, you know, probably now kind of more three games under our belt. When we get him back, I'm sure it's going to look a little different. Sure. Um, but, yeah, so far, you know, I, I've played with a bunch of the guys before. I knew a bunch of them. Um, and it's just a really great group. Um, they love, you know, we love playing for each other and having fun. The ball moves, guys are moving. Um, so it's, you know, I think we're playing this weekend, we're playing pretty good lacrosse, which is, you know, that's really what it comes down to. It's not as much as, you know, how many goals and points you're scoring. It's really, I just, you know, enjoy playing good team lacrosse. Um, whether, you know, sometimes that being the off ball guy, you could have seven goals in a game because they're just sliding from you and the ball is just, you know, ended up. And then there's also, Games where they're just like, hey, we're not letting him shoot the ball today. Like, look away. Do not slide. Don't even look the hedge off him. And I walk out of there with, like, a goal and an assist or something. So, you know, like, you just kind of got to know your role a little bit with that. So, and I think everyone on our team kind of, you know, knows what they're, you know, knows their role. And when it's time for them to step up and make the play, they make the right play. Um, and I think that's why we had a pretty successful weekend this weekend. No, absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit about that too, but kind of what was the coach Copeland's message? I think following that, you know, tough week one loss, um, how did you guys kind of refocus? You know, you mentioned you played three games in essentially seven days. So, you know, with the quick turnaround, how did you guys kind of di get dialed in for that Friday night game? Yeah, I think the message was, you know, first we just had to play better. You know, we had too many possessions, empty possessions, as we call them, where, you know, we're coming down and it's just, you know, the ball doesn't move and guys, you know, we don't get in that second, third layer of the offense where, you know, you get a couple of dodges, a couple of passes before you're making a play, um, you know, some dumb turnovers and transitions, which just costs you. Like, you can't have, you know, go stretches in quarters where, you know, your possessions are five, ten seconds, you know, turnover at the midfield line going the other way. Like, you're not going to win games in this league doing that. So just cleaning up, you know, kind of those stupid turnovers. And then I think this week we put a bigger emphasis on spacing instead of player movement. Um, you know, I think our ball movement usually is pretty good, but pretty unselfish group. So I don't think that's really ever going to be a huge issue for us um, with, you know, anyone getting sticky sticks. But I think, you know, the spacing factor in week one to week two, we were a lot crisper. I think in week one, you know, we were kind of just moving around, running around, but I don't know if we were like working hard to get open. We were just moving to move. And I think this week we we're a little more, you know, decisive in our cuts and our actions and like, yeah, we weren't, you know, probably not moving as much, but when we were moving, it was like with purpose and, you know, it was effective cuts, seals. So I think, you know, just allowing us to kind of have a little bit better spacing um, and then making a little bit more, you know, productive on the off ball side of things 
you know, it goes both ways. You know, if you're doing a good job off the ball, you, it makes the Dodgers job easy because, you know, they're not, they're not just staring at the guy. And if you're doing a good job on the ball, the off-ball stuff opens up as well. So I think, you know, if you watch the first game on Friday, Chaos tried to not slide in the first half. And Schloss and CK and those guys and, you know, Curry were getting to the net and scoring goals. And then they're like, oh, you know, we got to slide to these guys are scoring goals. And then I started scoring because, you know, you get the defense moving. Whereas in the Chrome game, I think it was a little bit opposite. They're like, all right, we're going to try to slide to these guys. I had a couple in the first half. Like, all right, we're not going to slide. And then those guys started scoring. So I think, you know, when you can complement each other like that, you have guys that can score with it and without it. You just, you're dangerous because if you slide, you know, then you're opening up that, you know, moving the ball and guys stepping down. If you don't slide, we have guys that can just run by shorties and score goals. So you got to, got to play it straight up, which is, you know, obviously what you want when you're playing lacrosse. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of, you mentioned how, how the chaos comparative to the Chrome kind of matched up a little bit differently with you guys. I'm always curious what kind of scouting reports look like going into games. You know, one, the season's so new, right? And teams have a lot, a lot of new guys moving pieces. But I'm just curious, how, how do you guys scout for um, these brand new teams almost, you know, going into early in the season? So I think, you know, you kind of have a sense of what each team is just based on, you know, where the guys are from and, and what kind of systems they've grown up or not grown up, but like played in in the sure. past, you know. Obviously, the Redwoods being Notre Dame heavy, you know, they play pretty good team defense. Whip Snakes play really good team defense. Maryland, you know, some teams are a little bit more aggressive. So you kind of know, you know, like player to player too, like, okay, this guy is a big checker. This guy, you know, is more of an off-ball guy. So, you know, we've played against between the MLL and PLL and college. You know, you, you've played against most of these guys. So, you know, it's not – yes, some – things they do might be a little different, but you kind of know like each guy's tendencies, like, Hey, he might, you know, look to just double it back because he wants to get involved instead of, you know, being a little staying at home or, you know, this guy, you know, he's really, he's not going to leave you. He's going to stay home, you know, just be very disciplined. So you kind of know what you're going to get a little bit before going to the game, um, just based on playing guys before. No, absolutely. And, you know, Ryan, we always enjoy watching you score goals, but I think one of my favorite parts of you scoring goals is the sellies after. Do you put any thought into like what celebrations you do? I know you did like the gladiator. Are you entertained? Um, sometimes you do like, you know, the little knee, high knee celebration too. I mean, talk about the sellies. Does it just kind of come to you or do you kind of go into it thinking hey, I'm going to do some of these no. you know, throughout the game? Yeah, no, I, I honestly have no idea what I'm doing half the time. <laughs> it, just, it just comes out. Just, yeah, you know, well, that was one thing when we were, at Hopkins, Coach Petro, like when we scored a goal, he was just like, you have to be excited, like you have to be excited, you know, celebrate with your teammates and, you know, you scored, get, you know, get amped up just to kind of get the energy for the, you know, the bench and the field. So it just, I just started like jumping and doing stuff half the time. I don't really know what I'm doing. No, I love it. And you guys are, you seem like you're having a lot of fun out there. I know Schloss was, you know, having a monster game as well. And you guys just look like you're having a lot of fun. Um, and I think that was a, you know, another difference maker between week one and week two. Yeah. I think our energy level was much better in Atlanta than Boston. I think we were a little flat in Boston where I think last week or this past weekend, you know, you could tell our, and we play with a lot of different energy, especially on the offensive side of the field. Sure. Uh, and you, you know, you mentioned your time at hop. We'll be back down at Homewood, right? Two, two weeks from now, talk about your excitement to, to be back. Uh, yeah. You know, I think it's going to be really exciting. Um, I know the first year we were there when I was on Atlas, we played the Whip Snakes. It was, you know, a sold out crowd. It was packed. So hopefully, you know, another big turnout. Um, I don't know how, what the rules are with COVID and things like that with capacity, but it sounds like it's going to be a good showing. So it's really exciting, you know, to, to hopefully get a big showing, you know, back at, you know, the place we went to college. I know um, some of the kids I coach in, in Texas are up there at club tournaments and things like that. So I know, you know, I'm going to have a couple of hometown kids from down here up there watching and, and family members and friends and things like that. So should be exciting. Um, I know we play an incredible opponent in the Archers, so I think it'll be a great game. Absolutely. And then just taking a step back, too, from this current season, but how have you been able to adapt your game to the pros? Um, and, you know, have you learned from anybody, like, as a role model or a mentor kind of throughout your, uh, your pro career? Yeah, so I think the big thing with – 
pro lacrosse compared to like college lacrosse. Obviously, it's the short and shot clock. The game's a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely shots I take sometimes that I probably would never take in college or like international just because they're not good shots. But given the shot clock and the just the way the game goes, you, sometimes it just you're better to take a shot and just miss the goal or you know put some pressure on the defense just so you don't get that empty possession than to kind of just like let the ball fizzle out. Um, not don't like just play catch with the goalie, of course, but like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of just squirt one out there. Um, so I think that's one thing is just like shot selection change a little bit, you know, especially so there's times too, like at the end of the half one Sunday, I think Ryland threw me one and it's like, you know, it's, it's the end of that, like just trying to put the ball on goal instead of being like, mm-hmm. okay, this shot, I'm going to either make it or miss it. Um, you know, so like different types of shots. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. the shooting thing changes a little bit with the shot clock and then, um, I guess the next part is just be like kind of, you know, with the, again, shot clock related is a little bit sloppy, but you, you don't get into like that third, fourth layer of offense. So, you know, you kind of, you get, you, you know, you got to make a play relatively soon. Um, so just kind of having that in the backside or like the back of your mind, knowing you have to play like probably a little more aggressive than you might've, might've played in, in college with some of the stuff that you do. Um, changes things a little bit. Um, but yeah, so as far as like role models go, I mean, I feel like it's it's one of those things where, you know, everyone in the league is, is very, very good. So, you know, you kind of learn bits and pieces from everyone, mm-hmm. um, just taking things, see what's working for other guys and just, you know, you, you kind of figure it out you're on your own a little bit, just watching different different guys who've been successful just play and just, you know, okay, if that's working for them, maybe we kind of run something similar to that. So, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we're going to actually now go shift gears a little bit into our five and five segment. And I'll ask you five lacrosse questions. And I will ask you five off the field questions, more quick hitters here. But the first one I'll start off with is, do you have any pregame routines or superstitions? Um, I do not. Uh, I, I kind of do something different every single pregame. I feel like sometimes it's, you know, sometimes I go out in the field before and shoot around. Sometimes I don't, if it's too hot, sometimes I, you know, drink a electrolyte drink or pre like you know pre-workout drink or whatever Mm -hmm. sometimes I don't I don't really you know it's kind of just how I'm feeling that day I guess one thing I always do is I get a morning coffee before game but that's about it gotcha yeah we actually talked to Casey Powell last week and he his thing was sometimes playing with other people's sticks and seeing if he go out there and play with that I don't know if you go that extreme but I thought Uh, that was funny how he kept it loose (laughs) yeah no, no, no don't do anything like that number two what has been your favorite venue to play lacrosse at favorite venue I think uh, besides, so I'll take the bias out of it. So I can't, I won't pick Homewood. The next best place to play, I actually think Penn State has a really cool facility uh, up at Happy Valley. Valley, I think that's that's a good spot. And then another favorite one of mine is Clockner in Virginia. So I, I would probably say either of those two will probably be my two favorite college ones. As far as pro go, uh, pro went. Charlotte was actually a pretty cool setup because you had the skyline in the back. But mm-hmm. I think um, playing in Denver was probably at uh, playing the outlaws in the, in the Broncos stadium was probably the coolest. Awesome. Yeah. That's a popular one. The mile high game. Uh, number three, what is your current stick set up in terms of head shaft and stringing? So I use the burn two, um, and then I kind of just use like a higher pocket. So I like, like the ball to sit under that second shooting string, mm-hmm. um, two straight across. And then my shaft, what did I, use? I think I either using like a burn XP shaft or an Evo at QX, so whatever the new QX, I think it's QX. Gotcha. Uh, shaft. So the shaft's not really as important to me as the head, um, but I, I really like the burn two head. It's you know it's nice and stiff and it's got a good face shape to it. So that's what, what I've been rolling with here this past week. Awesome. And then uh, number four, who's the funniest teammate on the Water Dogs that you have? And it can be more than one if you, there's a few funny guys. Funniest teammate, probably with Jake Withers or Mike Stalcher. Gotcha. It's, it's, yeah, either one. Also between those two, yeah. yeah. Uh, number five, if they made a PLL video game, who would you say deserves to be on the cover? PLL video game? I mean, probably Paul since he invented the league. <laughs> I think that's a safe one to go with. Uh, so I'll go with Paul. Love it. And I'll take the off the field question. So you're obviously on the field a lot, coaching, playing, but what are some hobbies you enjoy when you're not on the field? So I'm, I'm a huge golfer. Okay. Um, during the off season. Uh, my fiance gets kind of mad at me because I try to go, I, I golf probably like two to three times a week in the mornings. Um, 
you know, being in Dallas, it's nice because it never really gets that cold. Sure. So, you know, it's almost, you know, like right now it's like a hundred degrees outside. So I'm not golfing today, but you know, during the off season, it's nice. It's like 60 degrees all the time. So I can get on the course a few times a week, you know, wake up early, work out, go play golf and go coach. Um, so I mean, I, I really got into golf here the past five, couple of years. So big golf guy. Good stuff. Uh, number two, who's an athlete in another professional sport you really enjoy watching right now? Um, an athlete. Well, I mean, obviously being from Baltimore Ravens fan, Lamar, I mean, he's just a walking highlight reel. So I, you know, whenever the Ravens are playing, he's always, he's always fun to watch because he's, you know, at any second he can just big play capability left and right. Yeah. Good answer. Rip. I love that. I'm a Ravens fan myself. So yeah. definitely love that for sure. Yeah. And I'm in, and I'm in Baltimore territory. I, I live uh, in, in Towson. So um, okay. my, my wife, I'm a proxy Ravens fan. I'm from Philly. So I'm a, I'll root for the Ravens whenever they're not playing the Eagles. There you go. Yeah. Uh, number three, favorite spot to vacation. Favorite spot to vacation. Oh, that's a good one. Um, let me think. So a couple places, I mean, when I go back to Maryland, you know, obviously you kind of get down to Ocean City some, but that's more, you know, wouldn't say that's necessarily like a great destination to go on vacation. Um, but it's a lot of fun going down there with your friends and stuff. And, you know, obviously go down there since high school. I, you know, I, I really enjoy going to the – I'm probably more of like a beach guy than like a mountain or, you know, what it, I don't know where else you would go. But I'm probably definitely a beach guy. So probably, you know, I, I'd, I'd enjoy like a good – trip to mexico or something like that good stuff uh number four favorite meal and do you prefer to dine out take out or cook at home so favorite meal is definitely chicken parm um definitely don't want to cook it i think <laughs> you know so we always went pregame to a place in baltimore sammy Victoria. um they have the best chicken parm um actually some of the best food for you know we always went there before college so if i could pick like any meal i would get the uh Chicken parm and then the um, tortellini Alfredo from Sammy's. It's dying. Good stuff. I'll have to check that out. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's good stuff. <laughs> uh, and my last off the field question uh, any books, podcasts, TV shows, movies you'd recommend to our listeners right now that you're, you, you've taken in? Um, so I kind of just, as far as like TV shows, I watch like a wide variety of anything. In, my buddy Crawley kind of always makes fun. He's like, you just watch weird stuff. <laughs> um, so as far as that, like, yeah, I watch anything like weird, bad, really bad TV, like on CW to like, you know, history channel, like ancient aliens. Um, okay. So, you know, I, I, I kind of got a wide range of TV shows I watch. Um, you know, obviously podcasts, you know, kind of just listen to the same stuff. Everyone else listens to sure. stuff. Um, so I would say, Obviously, my my go to TV show would probably be The Office. So if anyone out there hasn't seen The Office, you gotta watch that. Yep. Uh, but other than that, like, yeah, I, I kind of watch a bunch of random stuff. Good stuff, and you can watch The Office on Peacock, right? Absolutely, exactly. Yeah. There you go. You, you get it all at once. Yeah, love it, love it. Um, well, that wraps up our five and five. Final question I like to ask our uh, pros that come on is, what's some advice that you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally? Um, I think the biggest thing is just knowing that it, it, there's a lot of work that goes into it that I don't think, you know, guys necessarily see, um, especially, you know, outside of just the mandatory going to practices, like in high school and college, you know, you, you got to really, if you want to, if that's your goal, you, you have to kind of be all in on it and be able to sacrifice a little bit. Um, there's, you know, the guys who are really good and, and you know, have made it have made those sacrifices and put those extra hours in, you know, especially lacrosse being, you know, a very, you know, skilled sport. Um, you know, if you're playing N NBA or the NFL, like you have to be a certain size to really be able to play in the league and lacrosse. Like, you know, you have all types of guys that play professionally. You have, you know, you look at like Miles, who's huge. And then, you know, you have like Mikey Sowers and Grant who are like little quick guys, you know, mm -hmm. you have all types of, of guys out there that, that play the sport because it's a very, you know, skill dominate sport. So I think being able to really like hammer in anyone can do it, but you know, no one just wakes up and is good at lacrosse. You really have to put the effort into have to get your stick work at the level to be able to contribute if you at like, you know, high division one uh, professional level. And that takes a ton of time.
No, I love that. I think that's some good advice for our young listeners. And, uh, you know, it's true. Like there's really a position for anybody, I think in lacrosse, yeah. um, you just got to find your any, niche. any height, size, shape, whatever you either, if you, you got a good understanding of the game and a good stick work and you know how to use your body and your size and your attributes to your advantage, like you can be a great player. No, I love that. No, we appreciate it, Ryan. I definitely enjoyed having you on. Great game. Great two games this past weekend. Um, And best of luck, you know, heading into your matchup against the Archers next weekend. Thank you. All right, so welcome back. That was our interview with Ryan Brown. We appreciate him hopping on. Again, huge weekend for him. Happy to see him, you know, in his Water Dogs colors. Uh, really have a good showing this week. Obviously, he was co- kind of quiet in week one, so it was good to see him, you know, really make a dent in the stat column this week. Uh, but what are you guys' thoughts now? We're not going to do game picks since we are heading into bye week. But what are your kind of thoughts on the storylines heading into the bye week uh, before we get into Homewood? Uh, anything in particular that you guys uh, are interested in watching as we prepare for week three? Particularly for the Atlas, I already mentioned that their off-ball defense was still a little lacking against the Redwoods, but they weren't really being punished for it. And I think that'll be something to look out for against the Whipsticks and the Cannons in particular in one weekend, too. That's a lot of really fast-paced offense in three days worth of time. Uh, and something I didn't bring up when we were talking about the game is that I, I was surprised. I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention in week one enough, but I, I didn't expect Rex Rhodes to guard Pinnell. And I thought he did pretty well. I mean, Pinnell still had four points, but it was still their one-on-one matchup didn't feel super lopsided, which was mm-hmm. great. But now he's going to probably, that probably means he's going to match up against Zed or Lyle. And, uh, the Whipsnakes and the Cannons have great defenses, so it'll be interesting to see if the offense can kind of generate just like they did against the Redwoods. Uh, I think the Water Dogs will similarly be tested. Uh, they struggled against a strong defense in Cannons, and now they're going to go up against a strong defense in, in, in the Archers. And I, we've already said I think they got it a little easy in Week 2 with some of the weaker uh, teams to be matched up against. Chrome and Chaos, similar problems. What moves do they make to – address needs on offense and defense because of injuries or because of lack of production. Yeah, no. And that kind of leads into mine is the fact that, do you, you know, do you see the chaos pick up or trade for another defender? Now, um, obviously they're and three and it's a short season, really, you know, they're, we're almost close to the halfway point now. Then we realize the fact that the chaos have already played three games and haven't won one, you know, they're, they're going to need, and their goal differential isn't great either. So they're going to really need to one, get back in the win column, but also, uh, make some wholesale changes quickly. Um, so I think the bye week will be a good way to reset for them. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious, you know, to see if they look at themselves and say, do we have the right personnel on defense? Now I do, I think they can make a trade for a defender. Probably not like the teams that have defenders that would really be game changers for them are probably not willing to give them up. You know, you look at the whips, archers, cannons, I don't see them, you know, giving up any of their defenders and, you know, making a trade when they're all pretty much set right now. So that's where I don't know necessarily if there's even a trade market for coach towers to even go out and get somebody else. Um, you know, do they pick somebody off the, you know, waivers maybe, uh, I don't know if there's any real difference makers that they could bring in to, you know, kind of cement that defense. Um, you know, definitely there's guys out there that are good that could be playing in this league and get picked up, but is that going to really make a difference? Maybe they look at Kyle Thornton and say, you know, let's give Kyle Thornton, some some play playing time since he wasn't uh, you know on the roster the first two weeks um and you know maybe he makes a difference he's obviously fresh off that notre dame season um and played really really well for them in that one year that he was there so um i think he could be you know a, a big piece to this defense as well but um they're gonna have to figure it out really quickly but did you have any other thoughts on these storylines adam heading into the bye week yeah you know one you mentioned like with the chaos i mentioned already a couple guys on that restricted list currently we'll see uh potentially if those guys can come off by the end of the bye week right canada mm-hmm. just the, the cfl just announced they're going to have a, a season i know that's all all, all in-house north of the border but things are opening up a little bit uh in, in canada and i'm hoping to see uh some of those guys some of the best in the world right uh, that we're still waiting to see Jeff Teed, all those guys. So hopefully uh, that's something to keep monitoring. And one thing that uh, wasn't talked about too much, but from the goalie side of things, always have to end there. Uh, in week one, uh, it was talked about how the archers were going to uh, go one game on, one game off, or, or something to that effect uh, to start Gittleman and Adams. Uh, but week two, Adams got the start, but Gittleman played the second half. So are they going to go back to that uh, half and half? Uh, or are they going to go full games? Well, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, that goalie situation is always evolving, but great duo uh, in cage for the archers as always, but it'll be interesting to see what they could do going forward. 
You know, absolutely. We didn't hit too much on the archers in that game. It was more chaos focused, but uh, you know, kudos to uh, Will Manny and Marcus Holman moving up in the, you know, all time list, you know, Will Manny has now moved 12th all time in goals, passing Drew Westerville and Matt Striebel um, for that spot. And Marcus Holman, 250 career goals, which is 10th all time. So, um, you know, make sure you guys are checking out PLL stats. Um, I think that's another storylines, you know, that's really interesting to watch this season is all these MLL records that players are able to break now that, you know, all pro lacrosse is under one roof once again. Um, and it's fun just to see, you know, all these legends of the game names come up again as some of these current players pass them. So I think that's, you know, another storyline that I'm really looking forward to following, um, you know, as we head into week three of the PLL season, but um, definitely, you know, let us know if you guys have any other storylines that you're interested in, you know, let us know either on social media, um, leave us a five-star review. If you really enjoyed this episode and let us know there too, if there's a storyline that you're particularly looking forward to the rest of the season, but we appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate Adam and Brian coming on the show as always. And we hope you guys tune in next time to pro lacrosse talk. Today's episode is sponsored by Ducan Supply Co. Ducan is a men's body care brand that features an array of military-inspired products from their signature big-ass bar of soap to their bourbon-infused beard oil. I personally use their big bourbon beard oil that is made with a hint of buffalo trace. I like the oak barrel scent that it gives off, and it makes me feel good about my beard, even if it's not as nice as the one that Adam's sporting these days. As an Army Reservist, I also love that they donate a portion of their proceeds to U.S. veterans. So go ahead and check out Ducan, use our code LAX10 to receive 10% off your order, and find your own signature scent.